evening, everyone. My name is Penny. The second Bible reading for tonight is Psalm 22. It should be on uh, page 537. 537. For the director of music, to the tomb of the door of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were saved. In you, they trusted, and were not disappointed. But I'm, uh, but I'm a worm, and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They hear insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my brother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of patience encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouth wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. All my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the white oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I'll praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob. Honor him, reveal him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the thing of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Yes, thank you. Let's turn to God for his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do speak to us. You speak to the depths of our heart. And we thank you for this psalm, which does reflect a human experience. 
and human despair and hopelessness. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that today you might give our hearts hope as we consider Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, have you ever heard of a story of a mother and two young boys? Two boys, four years old and six years old. They sound like my boys, but anyway. uh, The names are Matt and Josh. Now, these two boys, they were mischievous, naughty. They're your, your pranksters. They're always out looking to do pranks just for laughs, just for fun. And their mother, she's just pulling out her hair. She's it's driving her mad and driving her nuts. She has no idea what to do. She's tried all sorts of ways of dis- disciplining the two boys, but nothing seems to work. And so this mother called for her minister for some help to speak to the boys individually, to, to put them right. And so this minister, he agreed. Now the minister, unlike me, uh, a small Chinese man, this minister was huge. His size was threatening. And so this minister agreed. And so he sat down the first son, Matt, four years old. And he knew the trouble of this young troubled boy. And so with his deep booming voice, he says to Matt, where is God? Now Matt, this four-year-old boy, his, his mouth dropped, had no response, didn't know what to say. He was terrified by the size of this minister. The minister repeated the question, where is God? Again, Matt made no attempt to answer. Now the minister, he raised his voice once again, his deep booming voice, and now he shook his hand in front of his face. Where is God? Matt, at that instant, bolted out of the room, scared and terrified, ran home in the closet, closed the door and hid. Later on, his brother Josh, older brother, found him and asked, so what happened? Matt, gasping for his breath, he replied, we're in big trouble now. God is missing and they think we did it. (laughs) Now, of course, that was just a funny story. It's actually the only funny bit today. (laughs) But just imagine life without God. Life where God is missing. Life where we feel that we are forsaken by God. See, when things in life go go pear-shaped, goes poorly, when tough times creep in, when we're overtaken by painful illnesses, by bereavement, when we're afflicted with broken relationships, love affairs, unhappy marriages, depression, loneliness, when the pain and suffering of life just becomes unbearable, have we become forsaken by God at that point? And do we cry out to God in anguish, where are you, God? Well, John Stott, the great theologian, He's now passed away, but in his great book, The Cross of Christ, a must-read for all Christians, he talks about this Christian leader in his book. His Christian leader was brutally honest in his confession about his anguish towards God. Now, his name was Joseph Parker. He was a minister at City Temple Church at the later 19th century. And and this, this minister, Joseph Parker, in his autobiography, He says how up to the age of 68, he he never doubted God at all, up to the age of 68. But then his wife died. 
and his faith collapsed. And this was what he wrote. In that dark house, I became almost an atheist. Now, this was a long-time minister, a Christian leader. I became almost an atheist. For God has set his foot upon my prayers and treated my petition with contempt. If I had seen a dog in such agony as mine, I would have pitied and helped the dumb beast. Yet God spat upon me and cast me out as an offence, out into the waste wilderness and the night black and starless. This was a minister for many decades writing this. He felt at that point that God has forsaken him. God went missing. Now, of course, that minister was not the first to have felt that way. He was not the first at all. In our psalm today, the mighty King David, he cried those famous words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Psalm 22. And so today we'll be working our way through this psalm and we'll be answering three questions. Why did David cry these words? What did God do about it? And finally, what does this psalm have to do with us? So firstly, why did David cry these words? Well, if you know the story of King David, he, he had a crazy story, the stuff movies are made out of. You read of his stories, his big battles, his life, people wanted, his enemies were against him. Even King Saul wanted him dead. And there were assassination plots against him, even by his own son, his own dear son, chased him out of his own palace. And so David, he knew God, he loved God, but yet his hardship was so profound, so terrible, that it did not stop him lamenting and writing this psalm. Did not stop him doubting that God was for him. And so just like Joseph Parker, his cries for help, his cries, his prayers for mercy seemed to fall just on deaf ears. And so we read off his words. Have a look, verses 1 and 2. He writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. So you can, in a sense, from these two verses, you get this sense of his despair, his hopelessness, his sense of God forsakenness. God has left him. God has gone missing. But yet in David's mind, he still recalls that God is trustworthy. His forefathers trusted God and God delivered them. His forefathers trusted God and God saved them. The likes of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. And so now he writes in verses 3 to 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And so David's dilemma now was, he felt God forsaken. But yet he knew God was trustworthy. But why was, not God, why was God not trustworthy now? He's thinking, I'm trusting you, God. I'm loving you. I'm being faithful to you. Why are you not saving me now? Why am I disappointed? Why are my prayers left unanswered? And I wonder that, whether that might be how we might feel at some times. When things don't go well. Has God forsaken us? 
do we cry out in these words, with these words, in this anguish of David, God, where are you? Because now David goes on to describe what he experienced, what he was, how he was treated. He says here how he's treated like a worthless animal. Have a look, verses eight to, 6 to 8. He says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And what insults do they hurl at him? Well, the ones that hurt most. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. See, there's nothing worse than being mocked and insulted because you are a follower of God. Now, you trust in God and people say to you, well, if your God is real, let him save you. They mock you, they insult you. What's worse than that? But now, David, he he still can't get his mind around his situation, his dilemma. He's been with God all his life, since he was a baby. In fact, God's been with him since he was a baby. And so he can't make sense of why this God-forsakenness now. So have a look what he says, 9 to 11. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. See, this was the king chosen by God. He experienced God's goodness. He experienced God's protection and favour and grace and love. But yet he can't make sense of this. Why this God-forsakenness now? And so his life now full of misery, even to the point of death. And so he describes again lengthy description, verses 12 to 18. Have a look. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the root of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And so that was David's description of being forsaken by God. It was his darkest hour. He was in the pits. His life was ebbing away. And whatever will there was for him to continue living, that was being sucked out. And so he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now we come up to our second question. What did God do about it? Did God do anything about it? Did God leave him to rot? Did his prayers really go unanswered? Was he really forsaken by God? Well, we come now to the turning point of this psalm. See, David's pleading, his cries for mercy, they do come answered. Have a look, verses 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off, O my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me. Save me. Now look at the footnote down there. You see that it's actually past tense. You have heard. And so God has in fact rescued. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so in the end, God has come through. David cried out for mercy, for God to save him. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? God has come through. God has delivered him. God has rescued him. 
And so though David was feeling this sense that God has forsaken him, he wasn't forsaken by God, in fact. God saved him in a hen. That's what God does. And so that was David's psalm, describing his experience, feeling forsaken by God, but in fact God was with him. God saved him. But of course this psalm is famous. We know this psalm. We've heard it before, haven't we? There's more to this psalm than this, isn't there? There's more to this psalm than just a psalm of David. You see, David spoke more profoundly than he ever knew. David spoke more prophetically than he ever knew. David spoke of not only his own experiences, but he spoke of the experience of someone else. Because who else in Scripture, in the Bible, do we hear cry out those words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And who else in Scripture do we hear experiencing what David experienced? And worse, who? Well, no one else other than David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's almost this uncanny resemblance in the experiences of of David and Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, when he was hanging there on the cross, we actually see all these things. He was insulted, mocked by those passing by. You save others. Why can't you come down and save yourself? His strength was dried up. Each breath was painful. His tongue was dry, sticking to his roof. Remember the words of Jesus he said on the cross, I am thirsty. He was surrounded by evil men. His hands and his feet were pierced. Very similar here. And they divided his garment amongst themselves by casting lots. We see Jesus experiencing this God forsakenness that David was describing. And of course, Jesus also cried out those harrowing words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But was it simply this uncanny resemblance? Or rather, God's directing, God's providence, God's plan that through Jesus Christ, he will be forsaken by God. But you see, there's a difference here between David and Jesus in what they experienced. See, David, he felt forsaken by God. But really, he wasn't forsaken, was he? Because God came through. God saved him. God delivered him. God rescued him. But you see, with Jesus, it was a cry of real dereliction. In the darkest hours, the skies went dark for three hours. Jesus was absolutely alone. Jesus was absolutely God-forsaken. The eternal bond between the Father and the Son. Somehow at that moment there was this disruption that happened that has never been experienced before and never will be experienced again. There was an actual and dreadful separation between the Father and Son. Quite profound. How can we understand that? Not merely a felt, but a real abandonment by the Father. But yet at the same time, one great theologian, Cranfield, he puts it this way, while this God-forsakenness was utterly real, the unity of the Blessed Trinity was even then unbroken. Quite a profound paradox. Somehow there was this disruption between the Father and the Son. The Son experienced God-forsakenness, but yet at the same time the Trinity remained unbroken. But now why? Why would God the Father forsake his own Son, Jesus Christ? Well, now we come to the last question. What does this psalm have to do with us? Well, you see, it is our sins that sent Jesus to the cross. 
It is our sins that Jesus willingly bore upon himself so that he might also bear upon himself the punishment for sin and that is to be forsaken by God. That is the punishment for sin. You see, the heart of sin is really a rejection of God. I'll do life my own way. I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. And so what's the punishment? What's the consequence? Well, you won't have God. You'll be forsaken by God for all eternity. Now, now last week I went to a dinner party and, and there were speeches. And one of the speech, it, it was interesting, is at a non-Christian event. And the person giving the speech was, was encouraging the, the man to, to be the master of his destiny, the captain of his soul. Well, in a sense, that encapsulates what sin is. I'm the master, I'm the captain. But when you want to be your own, apart from God, you'll get that. You'll be God-forsaken. If that's the life we choose, one day that will be God's answer for us, forsaken by him for all eternity, all that is pure and good and blameless and just and merciful and joyful and peaceful, separated from all of that for all eternity. But here we see the wonderful gospel of Jesus. He experienced God-forsakenness so that we don't have to. And in one sense, Jesus experienced hell for us so that we don't have to. And so the reason why I, I thought about talking on this passage for the beginning of the year is, in a sense, what better way for us to be reminded as we start 2015 to remember this psalm, to reflect on this psalm, that no matter what happens this year, there will be times of joy, there will be times of sorrow like every year, There will be times of happiness. There will be times of hardship like every year. There will be times of peace and there will be times of pain like every other year. But whenever I get the inkling, whenever I get the slightest inkling that I'm forsaken by God at my darkest moment, I need to remember this. I need to remember this psalm. I will not be forsaken by God because Jesus was forsaken so that I will never have to. I'll never have to experience the darkness that Jesus went through. I'll never have to experience the abandonment that Jesus went through. I will never be forsaken and you will never be forsaken if Jesus is your Lord. And so what should our response be? Well, consider David's response. What did he do? Have a look again at Psalm 22. His response was full of rejoicing, full of praising. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 25, from you come the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Verse 27, 28, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. And then the last two verses, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Notice how the psalm ends. For he has done it. And for us now on this side of the cross, for us now looking back and seeing what Jesus did on the cross, being forsaken by God, we have seen how God has done it. And so nothing can bring us any more joy Nothing can bring us any more comfort. Nothing can bring us any more confidence and boldness to live this year, praising God, proclaiming him, living for him, because Christ was forsaken 
so we can be fully confident, utterly confident, I will never be forsaken by God. And so we can live our life without the doubt of Joseph Parker. You see, God always was and always will be for us. He will not forsake us. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your great mercy and grace that you would consider us worthy to send your Son, that he might be forsaken by you so that we might live a life that goes into all eternity where we will have full confidence that we will never be forsaken by you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.